Amen. Thank you, Brother Roger. I so appreciate that. And I appreciate just having the opportunity to open the Word of God and uh, preach to God's people. Thank you for being here tonight. Man, I, I so appreciate your faithfulness, you know. And, uh, and a lot of times, you know, you just don't really appreciate something until you don't have it anymore. And having to be at the house for an extended period of time and, and uh, sort of sheltering in place and so forth. And, you know, it's like that old saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And so it's a blessing to see you tonight and to fellowship with you around the Word of God. And thank you for those of you that are listening at home. And, and uh, I, don't know if you, I don't know if tuning in is the right phrase to use or not. That's, an old, that, that's a phrase that old people will understand, like myself, tuning in versus um, getting online and finding your place there. But we're, nonetheless, we're glad to have you at home as well. And I hope you have your Bibles with you at home. And I'd ask, I know that you've worked hard today, but I'm going to ask that you would turn in your Bibles with me. We're going to have to turn to a few places. I do try to keep that in mind when you have worked hard during the day. And I'd like you to go to 2 Thessalonians uh, with me. And we're continuing uh, our our lessons. The the overall title has been about strengthening our homes, and that's our goal. And the psalmist said in Psalm 11, verse 3, our text verse has been, if the foundations be destroyed... What can the righteous do? And so if you're going to build and have a solid uh, have a solid structure and something, you're going to have to have an outstanding foundation to support all of that. And so uh, the psalmist got right to the heart of the matter when they were under attack. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And mark it down, beloved. There has been, if you will, a planned and progressive attack on the family in our country over the past few decades. I mean, even to the place where, you know, older people my age and so forth that are on Social Security, you know, if they remain unmarried and live together, they actually make more money by their individual Social Security total than they would as if they were married. And, uh, and so even our government promotes that kind of activity. And, and when people are on fixed incomes, it's hard for them sometimes to make those tough decisions, particularly when they don't know the Lord. They just look at the raw numbers and say, man, there's more money to be had here doing this. Let's do this. And so, um, so be assured, mark it down. We are indeed, and I'll confirm, we are indeed in the days of the perilous times. And, uh, but we are to continue. That's what Paul told Timothy. Continue thou in the things which we have learned, knowing of whom you have learned them in that very same chapter. And so that's what we want to do and continue on with this lesson tonight about marriage as it was meant to be. Uh, The last couple of weeks we've talked about some things that men, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And then we are to lead and it is a servant leadership and it's incumbent upon us. That means it's our responsibility as heads of our homes God said it was that way. We're just getting in line with what the Lord wants and what He desires. And, uh, you know, and I've always thought this. I I don't think that God has called a woman to pastor. Thank you for that. I don't think that He has. I I think it's fine for a woman to speak to women, but I'm just going to say God's house is not going to be different than how He wants my house. He wants a man to be and have male leadership at the house of God. He wants that at my house as well. Does it make my wife a second-class citizen or anything like that? It just means that she has a different role in life, and we are to fulfill those roles. And when you and I said, I will and I do, we were making a commitment before God that we were going to fulfill that role. 
And so that's what we're looking at tonight. I, I get a little worked up about this because, man, I, I just have so many people that I have seen and know that that, that it just seems like it's old-fashioned. And then they, then they, you know, then they want the preacher to put it back together. If you won't do what God says, then how can you expect the thing to work? But you know, things done in His way will get the job done. Even there are some lost people that have applied biblical principles to their businesses and they've been successful. Because truth is truth. And particularly God's truth. And it works. And so, uh, and so we're to love and we're to lead, brethren. But also we are to labor. We are to labor. And... Uh, and you know, even if you will, I, let's read this passage. I asked you to go to Second Thessalonians in chapter three and look with me there. Look in verse six. Notice what he says. Second Thessalonians three and verse six. And I'm going to read a little bit here, so bear with me on that. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. That word disorderly means to be out of step. Like like when we were in boot camp, when I was in boot camp, buddy, you had to learn how to get in step because the drill instructor would soon be right over your shoulder telling you your other left or you'd have to get that corrected or whatever or you'd be having extra marching duty or detail or whatever it was. And so to walk disorderly is to be out of place or out of step with what he wants. And he said, we're to withdraw ourselves and not after the tradition which he received of us for yourselves know how you ought to follow us for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did, now watch, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. Just like he said in, in 1 Thessalonians, he said he wasn't chargeable unto anybody. He said, you know how we labored day and night. He said, we could have been chargeable unto you. He said, but we wanted the gospel to be of no charge unto you. And therefore, that's why we worked. That's why we labored. That's why we earned our own, if you will, our own keep. And notice what he says. Neither did we eat, verse 8, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power or the authority to do that. Remember he said, you don't muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. If they're providing spiritual things, it's also proper then to reap some of our carnal things. There's a balance on these things, amen? And so not because we have not power to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now, beloved, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen, welfare, I, I think it's great that there is a safety net in society. But welfare, beloved, is not supposed to be a way of life. It's supposed to be a way up. And I would say to the working man that's in this because of the virus and so-called and so forth and all that's taken place and jobs have been lost and people's economies and their budgets have been stretched thin and so forth. And if you've had to resort to that, I say, hey, man, man, what, you've been paying taxes all these years when you were working. And some of that stuff, to me, you have earned. But God doesn't expect us to be on that for the rest of our lives. I mean, because... Beloved, that's not the way the Lord intended for, for our society to be. For even Verse 10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded that if any would not work, neither should he eat. You know, I, I remember people came by here one night and uh, we were having Bible Institute. We finished up, it was about 9.30 at night and it was a couple, uh, probably in their 30s. 
And, uh, and they were looking for, and I, I'll give them credit, at least the man was there with the wife. Oftentimes when I lived in the parsonage over here, usually it was women that came to the door. Husbands sat out in the car and women came to the door and asked for money. You know, now that's pitiful. It's wicked. And uh, this couple came in and said, listen, we're, we're on hard times and, and uh, we, we have this $600 light bill and would you pay this bill for us? And I said, well, I can't. I, you know, I don't sign any checks, brother, neither Brother Roger and I, we don't sign checks. And I said, I can't just arbitrarily tell you that I'm, we're going to pay this $600 light bill for you. And I said, well, are you working? No, I, I, I have an analyst. And I said, okay, an analyst. Well, have they told you that you can't work? Well, yes, I, you know, because I'm on medication, I can't work. And so I, this was the husband. And I looked at the wife and I said, well, what are you doing? And she said, well, I have an analyst also. And I can't work. And I'm on medication. I said, good night. I said, where are you all staying? She said, with my brother. I said, how does he feel about that? She said, not very good. I said, can you understand that? Now these people, and listen, I'm not poking fun. It's nothing personal here, but these folks were not the kind of folks who could hide in the shadow of a clothesline. Whatever they were eating had been agreeing with them. They were about five foot tall and both of them five foot wide. My, my parents would have said they could have lived off the land for a while. But I understand when you have to have medication. All right? I don't know what all their problems were, but I know they had to have some meds. I don't begrudge them for that. And there's a system out there that provides those things. And so I said, so, so what, what, what are you expecting you know, to be done? She said, well, we moved here from Harris County. They took care of us down there, but we're up here in Montgomery County. And said, nobody seems to want to do anything. I said, well, up here we believe a person ought to bear their own burdens. At least have the gumption to do that. And so what did you do? We helped him out a little bit. I think we gave him $150. I called the power company, or I found out about it, and we wound up giving them about $150 towards the bill. And, uh, you know, but I, we weren't, I was just not, we just were not going to do that. We try to err on the side of mercy. We've done that here. We'll continue to do so. And uh, but a, but a, f- a few weeks later, I saw them. They were both standing underneath the intersection, right there at thirteen fourteen and fifty nine, and they were both out there with a bucket, and they were begging for money. And I thought to myself, if you can stand out there in the heat of the day and be out there all day begging for money, you can work. You can work. You know, the body, uh, brethren, was made for movement. Did you know that? The way that you and I are designed, Psalm 139 says that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. God made the body for work. I, 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 I took some things down here. I looked up some stuff. Uh, we're, we, we have about, we're made up about approximately seven octillion atoms. Don't ask me how many an octillion is. I would say that has something to do with eight. It's an eight, too many numbers and zeros behind it. All right. It's way, it's way too much. About 37.2 trillion cells. I believe Brother Lewis would confirm these things. That's at maturity. Uh, the human heart beats around 100,000 times per day, my notes say. The lungs have a surface area of around 70 square meters. If you were to lay them out flat, all the tissue, and put everything out. That's amazing. And, uh, and you blink about 10 times per minute, most people. Or do that. Now you're going to be thinking about it the whole time. You're going to be counting them, aren't you? All right? I know some of you. Blink, Brother Jeff. You can just stare off. He has absence seizures. If you didn't. No, I'm just kidding. All right? He doesn't. 
But, uh, and it takes about 12 hours to digest food. You, you know what the benefits of physical activity are? It lowers your blood pressure, regulates your blood sugar, better control of body fat, improved immune function. Have you noticed why older people, and I'm an older person, and, and, and I'm not the slenderest of guys. I'll let you see all of you out there. It's good, isn't it? All right, now, back here. And, uh, and so, but my, my point is, is that is I'm not a skinny guy who's eaten ice cream all of his life and then talks to you about don't be fat. Who's never had to work about it, never had to worry about it, never had to think about it. But, uh, but my point is, is, is that you and I, we were made for movement, for working. And the reason why is people get older and they put weight on, they oftentimes complain about being cold. And the reason why they're cold is because about 85% of your, of your body heat, that 98.6, is produced by your metabolic rate. So when you get older and you have a sedentary lifestyle, your metabolism slows down. Therefore, you are cold even though you've got insulation. It's working against you. That's why, beloved, your body was made for movement. It wasn't made to be sedentary. As a matter of fact, when you sit down, you start cutting off some electrical impulses. You start changing some things when you become sedentary and the like. And, and I'm going to say, brethren, uh, now specifically this is for men tonight. We're to love, we're to lead, and we are to labor, brethren. That means that you and I are supposed to get dirty and sweaty periodically. It might, that part might be at the house. It might be at your desk. Maybe you've got, you know, you've got mouse-itis from working the... Th- I don't know, however, whatever you do in your capacity. But it wasn't made to sit all day long. Wasn't. We say a lot of times, you know, for preaching and so forth. I'll just tell you, young preacher back there, listen, when you, if you lack inspiration... You need some perspiration. You'd be surprised what can happen when you go to work and how you get your mind on some other things. God will begin dealing with your heart while you're working. It makes a difference. I know you all going to love this. It's going to be personal tonight. Amen? I think preaching ought to be personal, don't you think? It ought to be. What happens when you have physical inactivity, loss of bone density, stiffening of joints, the weakening of muscles, weakening of the heart and lungs, your immune system, goes down. Now, I know we, we're in the book of Genesis, I know we're talking about living 969 years. I don't think I want to live that long. I don't think I want to be around for all this mess that's going on here. Now, listen, I'm not ready to, I mean, I'm ready to go, but I'm not interested in going today. But I don't know that I want to be here for another 50 years and all that longevity. Maybe some of you do. I say, press on. I'm for you. But, uh, but man, I just know there's more on the other side because this is not all there is. Thank the Lord. Amen. And, uh, but brethren, you and I, we were made for work. We were made for work. You know, even your, even your muscles and skeletal system is different from your wife's or your girlfriend's because hers is not intended for the same role or purpose that yours is. Did you know that? Your bones are longer and thicker, men. That's why, that's because we're designed for toting and lifting and fighting and protecting and providing. That's what we're about. That's the reason why forensics, when, when they come across 
some bones out in the field that's been somebody dumped it off or whatever, a murder, a homicide. That forensic pathologist can examine those bones and they can tell you whether or not it's a male or a female by looking at the pelvic girdle. The pelvic girdle of a female is more rounded and as a matter of fact, the way God made it, it's even more flexible so that the head and shoulders in childbirth, those bones can move more easily than mine or yours, brother. Her pelvis is different. It's designed for bearing children. That's what God had in mind when He made Eve. And in every woman that came along. Brethren, you are to be the primary source of income for your family. You are. And so so let's look at some things. Let's look at some things tonight. Let's talk about some facts about work work. The number one thing that I I want you to see, do you know that work was not part of the curse? Did you know that? I talked with a brother once and and, uh, he tried to tell me that, you know, that we're having to go out here to work because of Adam. And I said, that's not so. I said, according to the book of Genesis, you know, Adam, God put Adam in the garden to dress it and keep it before Adam ever fell. That's why Adam already had a job before he got married. He was already working. What happened in the curse, if you want to go back there and read it another time in Genesis 3, what happened was work intensified. Yes, now the ground is going to bring forth thorns and thistles and so forth. The ground has been cursed because of the fall. That's why you got weeds out there and dandelions and all that other stuff that's out there that you can't stand and you spend a lot of time trying to get rid of. And it keeps popping up in spite of all that. Why? It's cursed and so forth. And so he said, in the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to work it. You're going to work at that land. That's That's why there's hard work out there and plenty of it. Work intensified. It wasn't that work came upon man to curse him. Man already had a job. Man was already at work when he fell. And beloved, to have the wrong attitude about that means everything. So work is not a part of the curse. The intensity changed. Adam was dressing and keeping the garden before he disobeyed. And you've got to keep that in mind. Listen, when you're out there, you know, have you heard, there was a popular song, was it Johnny Paycheck? Is that his name? I, I wasn't a country western guy. Take this job. I don't, I don't even like to say it. You know, take this job. You know the rest of the title, right? Take this job. Yeah, and, uh, and so that, that song became very popular. Because why? Because there's always going to be murmurs. There's always going to be grumblers. There's always going to be complainers. Well, you know what? If you don't like the job that you have, go look for another one. And do it with a good attitude. The best time to look for one is when you got one. Thank, thank you. Thank. That was a hearty amen for you at home. I, man, I, hope, I thought I could almost hear some of you at the house saying amen. It's true. It's true. You know, work was not a part of the curse. You, got to, you have to understand, and facts are stubborn things as we heard on Sunday. Facts are stubborn things. The second thing about work is that a good work ethic starts in the mind and in your heart. 
That, that's, that's a term that I don't hear very much about when I, when I was out employed and so forth, working on the ambulance and the like, and they would hire people. And, and uh, I've been a part of the hiring process and, uh, for both the fire department and, and for uh, the ambulance agency for whom I work. And, uh, you know, and, and you just didn't hear the, hear the term work ethic, a work ethic. Sometimes, you know, they, they have a new employee program and they what it's called a NEOP, new employee, uh, you know, and uh, program, new orientation for them. And a lot of these young people, man, they were worried about, boy, am I going to start all the IVs? And they were very nervous. Am I going to know how many aspirin to give and how much nitro goes into the tongue? They're trying to remember all the stuff that they had learned back in paramedic school. We told them, listen, you'll get to be a better medic as time goes by. What we're interested in is, are you going to be a good employee? Are you going to come to work on time? Are you going to be a good station mate? Are you going to get your crew duties done? Are you going to wash the truck? Are you going to leave it a pig pen? What are you going to be like? You're going to be late to work. Are you going to be a clock watcher? The shift starts at 7 a.m. I'm getting off at 7 a.m. And you're going to come waltzing in at 3 minutes to 7. So what happens if I get a late call? I wind up taking your call and I've got to work over because you aren't here in time to make a good transition. No work ethic. Work ethic starts in your mind and I believe down in the heart. Listen to what this says in the book of Nehemiah. So built we the wall, and, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. You've got to get your brain engaged. You've got to. You've got to understand this is your lot in life. Is you're going to have to work for your bread. If you're going to eat, you're going to have to work. If you don't work, you're not going to eat. And, the, and everything that's going to be out there that you're wanting, because the scripture says the desire of a slothful man killeth him, because his hands refuse to labor. If you're not going to do what's necessary, you're never going to have those things. And you're going to be disappointed, and you're going to be looking at other people and say how unfair life is. It's not unfair. You just didn't take advantage of the opportunities. And there are many opportunities. Man, in a lot of places, they just don't have any work. But I say, I say, thank God for Governor Abbott and the economy down here. That doesn't happen by itself. And uh, that, that there's work. And there's been work in Houston for years, multiplied years. And then, beloved, on top of that, as believers, we got to put the God factor in there. David said, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the children of the king begging bread. God knows how to take care of His children. He does. Slothfulness is a sinful and debilitating state of mind. Debilitating. It will ruin you. It will ruin you. Look with me in Proverbs 19. Will you turn there? Turn left in your Bible. Split your Bible in half. You'll come to the book of Psalms. And if you go too far, turn right. You'll come to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 19. And look with me in verse 15. Proverbs 19, verse 15. It says, Slothfulness casteth... And thank you for turning. Those of you at home, thank you for turning. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. 
slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. You know, for, for a lot of these people that have problems with it, now listen, everybody in here, I mean, when it, I can remember this, you know, you're out there on the freeway, you got this dark navy uniform on, it looks like, it looks like we're cops because you got a badge, and sometimes we were mistaken for police officers. I, I remember one time I was going to put a, a four lead, that's some electrical leads, onto this person to check their heart out. They'd been running through the woods, and the cops caught up to them. A dog bit them, and then, and then they had to wind up tasing them afterwards. So I want to take a look at their heart. And, you know, and so when I bent down there, and I, uh, he's in the back seat in the cuffs, and I'm going to put these stickers on his chest, uh, correction, on his, on his arms... And uh, he goes, no, no, don't shock me. Don't. And I said, man, I'm not going to shock you. He thought these were taser wires or whatever. But he thought I was another cop. And, uh, and man, I, I remember being out there in the heat and standing on that freeway. And it's like a hundred and something. Like you could fry an egg out there on that. I didn't enjoy all that. I don't like pain any more than you do. But it's what comes with the territory. If you're going, if you're going to be in a place and have to minister, do, do you think, I, you know, Bolivia to me, I've never been there. The, the nearest I'll ever get to Bolivia, I suppose, is if I watch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That's probably the nearest I'm going to get because that's where they died in Bolivia. And I didn't get to see much. It was a lot of pueblos and so forth and old tore up stuff and banks. <laughs> and, uh, but I suppose, you know, Bolivia, when I think about it, I think about being in the mountains. I love the mountains, and I like altitude and stuff, and looking out over there. And I'm sure, I'm sure that there are places as perfect and paradise, I don't even know how to say the paradisical as it could be. An example of paradise in Bolivia. I'm sure there are some places and times and things that Brother Kenneth has had to endure to get there. You know, probably walking over hill and dale. I certainly know that in New Guinea. I, you know, I got off... I got off the ship, I got off the airplane on Guadalcanal. It's Henderson Field today. Right there we came in over uh, the, uh, it's called the Iron Bottom Bay, where there's a lot of naval vessels and, and airplanes and aircraft are down in that water, rusting and so forth in the salt water. And uh, well, I, got off the, I got off the plane and I stepped out off that, it, was, it had a gangway and I stepped out off that, that ladder that went down, we didn't have a jetway there in Guadalcanal. You just walked down there and got on the tarmac, and it immediately, immediately the heat blasted us. And I thought, good night, have to, fight, have to fight against the enemy and now the elements as well. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uncomfortable things. Well, I don't care if you're driving a truck or driving nails or driving an airplane. There's going to be inconveniences and frustrations and aggravations that come along the way. It's a part of life. But for that slothful person, all he sees is a hedge of thorns. All he sees are the obstacles. You, that, that is a battle. I want you all to look at me. I don't, it ain't time to pray. I want you all to look up at me. That is what goes on in your mind and you've got to overcome that. You've got to overcome it. There are no perfect jobs. There are no perfect bosses. There are no perfect wages. And men, it's your lot in life. You didn't get to choose what your gender was going to be, but because you are a man or want to be one day, God expects you to labor. And He's given you the ability and the wherewithal to do it. 
good work ethic. When you don't have a good work ethic, you know what it's going to show up as? You lack initiative. You lack initiative. My mother would call it gumption. You just don't have any gumption. <laughs> I don't know if you find that in the dictionary or not, but that was that was a mimi colloquialism. Just no gumption or ain't had no fetching up. She was good about those little those little sayings. No gumption, no impetus, no drive. And you gotta have that. If you're gonna if you're gonna be successful in whatever endeavor you're pursuing, you got to have some drive. Brethren, you got to have it. I don't care I don't care if you're I don't care what it is. If you're a BB stacker, you gotta have some drive. And if you don't want to be a BB stacker the rest of your life, then you're going to have to you're going to have to expend some energy to improve your circus, your situation or your circumstances. They lack initiative. Proverbs 24 and 30. Tur- turn there with me. Turn right. This one said, I went by the field of the slothful. You've, you know this verse. Proverbs 24, verse 30. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns. And nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. He didn't take care of it. And it just went out from underneath him. And he didn't do anything to slow down the decay. He just didn't do anything, didn't show any initiative. If somebody else saw that, they saw the potential of that field, they saw what had to be done. Maybe they couldn't all do it overnight, but they did a little few things incrementally till they got it where they wanted it. You know, here's the, th- here's the thing. You know, when you're working, you've heard it said before, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do until you get to do what you want to do. And a lot of times there's just some of that, this is what I got to do. You know, I, I, I wanted to be, when I was in the service, I, I wanted to be where the fighting was. That's what I heard, that's what I learned about the mission of the Air Force was to fly and fight. And that's what I wanted to do. And so when I saw there was an opening for a gunner, man, I put in my papers for it. I volunteered for it. And Debbie suffered underneath that. And I never thought that one day I'd be in this cell with, a, with about 55, 54 other people. And we're in this mock POW camp. And we've been in this, in this confinement area, been in a cell by myself with a hood over my head. A number three coffee can. You remember those number three coffee cans? It wasn't a little one pounder. It was, I don't know how many pounds it had in it, but it was made of metal, not plastic, like they are today. And I didn't know that in order to get through this and be a gunner, I had to go through all these schools and so forth. I never dreamed, brother, brother Dean, that you know that a part of my training was going to be all right, all right, animal. I want you to go over there and I want you to empty all those number three. I want you to empty all those little latrines. And so I had to go around to every one of them cells with a bunch of strangers and empty their waste. The boy, I wanted to be a gunner. And I didn't know they were going to chase me through the woods for four days and four nights. Fly me up in the mountains, and the, the limestone mountains in the Philippines and have little negritos, pygmies chase you around. 
do all that, but by golly, I, I wanted to fly and fight. And so yeah, that's what you had to do. Brother, did you want to be a Marine when you went in the Marine? I think you have to do that on purpose. I think it has to be something mentally prepared. This is what I wanted. I wanted to be part of the best, and that's what you did. Somebody told me, I, I, I talked to another Marine, and he said it was 12 weeks of misery. He said for a lifetime of pride. But for him it was worth it. And sometimes, brethren, when you know what, and sitting at a desk and, and working a calculator or whatever and having to get through math or speech or statistics or teaching or whatever your, whatever your craft is, your skill is, and you endured those four years, you finished it, you were laboring, you were working, preparing yourself for something in the future. When you don't have a good work ethic, usually those same people, they love sleep. Just like that door, it says, they just turn on the hinges, just like they just turn in the bed, like the hinges of a door. They just turn and turn and turn and turn. And probably they're depressed about their situation, and so depressed people can't stand to see life and the reality, so it's easier to go to sleep. And that's what they do. They withdraw and they sleep. So I don't have to face what's going on. And they are long on excuses. I have several verses here for that. We're not going to go to all of them. I just know this, that a sluggard can render a reason better than seven wise men. He's got a reason why he can't do. I will tell you what, I, I'm trying to, I've tried to think back where this came from. It sounds like something my dad would have taught me. Or somebody said, but, you know, excuses didn't go very far in our home. And it was said, you know, do you know what an excuse is? And I learned it said that an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. pretty hard you say well that wasn't very nice my dad went to work every day I, I don't know of a lot of things that were Christian about him but one thing I knew he believed in hard work he did it as a boy and he was a good example in that he put groceries on the table and worked hard you know he, he was a house painter he painted Houses did whole subdivisions for two cents a square foot and made money. <laughs> you couldn't get somebody to pick up a shovel for two cents a square foot. You couldn't get them to do it. Listen, I'm about out of time. Work was not part of the curse. And having a good work ethic, it starts, it starts here. You gotta have the right outlook, young man. You gotta have the right outlook, brother. You must have it. And I think about Brother Mark and all them turnarounds you had to do all the time with those plants, and the long extended hours, and and changing out stuff that probably didn't look like it needed to be changed, but you had to do it anyway. Do the same things over and over and over and over. takes some endurance. I think about your dad, brother, 36 years in the same company. And when he died, this place was standing room only. And there were people here, dignitaries here from the job because more than one person bought out that plant. And brother Ronnie kept his job. A hard-working man. Kept up his place. 
We've had some good examples around here. We have. But I want to say to you this, I want to end on a positive thing. Not that these haven't been positive, but just sometimes you've got to point out the obvious. Work was not a part of the curse, and a good work ethic starts right here. You've got to get your mind into it because, you know, what you believe about something affects the way that you behave. Outlook has a lot to do with outcome. You're in Proverbs. Go to Proverbs 14 with me. Work was not a part of the curse, and a good work ethic starts in the mind. And number three, work is profitable. Look in Proverbs 14 with me. And look in verse 23, please. The scripture says, In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. Do you know what penury is? That's another name for poverty. That's another name for lacking. In all labor there is profit. It's profitable for you to work. It's profitable, brethren. For you to be involved in it. It's profitable for you to be engaged. It's profitable in whatever aspect. I don't care if if the smallest thing that you might be doing. You might be working a potentiometer in what you're doing. Or you might be scrubbing something around the head of a certain kind of titanium bolt. I was thinking about I was thinking about the churches and the things they do with their in sterilization and so forth and some of the tedium and details that matter because they don't want people to become ill down the road because of because of maybe because they didn't do something right. People's lives depend upon it. We wouldn't we don't think about that sometimes or the little the little things that go on. But in all labor and work there is profitable. What number one what does it do? Man, it produces revenue. It's profitable because it produces revenue. And brethren, you're going to have to have revenue. You're going to have to have that. If you want to put groceries on the table, if you want an automobile to drive or a truck or whatever it's going to be, you're going to have to have 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 some greenbacks. If you're going to have a roof over your head and groceries on the table, you've got to do it. Those things are not going to magically appear. You know, and I'm not doubting God for one minute, and I know, listen... I believe, you know, I don't think there's another man, aside, maybe aside from the Apostle Paul, that had the faith and maybe some of the, the 12 of, of that of George Mueller, the things that he prayed about and, and, and how many times God answered. But I think about what Paul also said in hungerings and fastings and in nakedness and in peril. Sometimes some of those things didn't all come together for him. And you can sit there and look at your empty bowl and just pray and say, God, send it in. But you know what? I mean, yes, the, the birds are out here and, you know, the birds have nests, but God doesn't bring the worms to the nest. they got to go get them. And so do you. If you want the resources, if you want the, I should say, if you want the revenue, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to work for it. It's something you've got to get your mind wrapped around. You know what? Mom and dad aren't going to be here forever. And and if you're waiting on inheritance or whatever and all that kind of stuff, the scripture says that wealth gotten by vanity is soon diminished. It's gone because why? You didn't put an investment in. But when you've worked on it, you've labored over it, you've, you've put something into it, you'll take better care of it. It'll mean more to you. 
That's why some parents, man, they may have a little bit of wealth and they put it in a trust. They want to see certain things happen first before, before somebody's going to cash in on that. Why? Because they know it's going to be wasted. They didn't have, maybe have confidence in that person now. And therefore, that we, when they're gone, they're trying to help them have some longevity with those funds. Because they didn't show much right now while they were alive. It'll bring revenue. It's profitable because it'll bring respect. You know what? Listen, your wife wants to respect you. Of the things when we get to when we start talking about some of these mutual things and so forth, man, from, from a man she needs love. But brother, I'm telling you, I talk to men, what they want from a woman or from their wife is respect. But respect can't be demanded, brethren. You've got to earn that. You will earn the respect of your wife and your children. I mean, just like just like me talking about my dad. I, I, you know, we didn't pray at the house. He didn't read the Bible to me as a boy. We didn't we didn't have devotions and all that kind of stuff. But my dad went to work, and 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 you know, if I was hyper and there was no ADD and all that kind of stuff, that just like there wasn't for a lot of you. But how did they handle that? They just gave you work to do. My dad put me to work. We were talking about, I, I think it was Brother Doug and I were talking about, man, I cut polk. I don't know if y'all, do y'all know what polk salad is? I ate it in Mississippi. It's poisonous. You got to cook it down first, pour that first pot of water off. And, uh, you know, they used to wrote a song, Polk Salad Annie. I mean, if you remember that, going back a few years. I know it wasn't on your top 40, brother, in Pittsburgh. But, uh, but, uh, but cutting polk, it was bad for cattle. And so my, my grandpa, as a, as a young boy, he gave me a, a, a sickle. It wasn't a bicycle. <laughs> it was a sickle. It was a handle with a curved blade on it like that, and it was sharp. And it was my job to cut the polk around the fence because I don't know why. Don't, don't tell me what's wrong with cattle. They just have a tendency. They go for the stuff. They got a whole pasture full of grass. What do they like? They want to go and eat the polk, I guess, because it looks different or whatever. But I had to cut it off the fence row. And it was hot out there. And I want to do a lot of other things. Go play baseball. Go to the ballpark with my buddies. Do anything but cut polk. Wasn't anything interesting about that. It was just work. And it had to be done. We cut yards. I cut grass as a boy. And I, I, please, I, I don't know all the things that you did as a kid, but I'm sure a lot of you... Listen, I, I hung out with a guy when I lived in New Mexico. He had a motorcycle buddy and a paper route. And uh, if I would help him wrap papers, you know, we rolled them up, tied them off with, with newspaper... Man, I could ride with him on the back of that motorcycle and I got to throw the papers while he drove. Son, I love it. Did you get paid? Not at all. It was worth it just to learn about those things and ride on that Yamaha. We were good friends. It was Eugene Lujan. Maybe you're listening tonight, Eugene. I don't know. Could be. Gene Lujan. There's some things I just did to learn to be exposed because it was interesting. Give yourself to it. But, beloved, you'll earn the respect. And that word, you know, because there's dignity in work. There's dignity in it. And the laborer is worthy of his hire. And when you've worked, the book of Ecclesiastes says that, that 
Sleep to a laboring man is sweet. And when you've worked hard at the end of your day, I mean, the body wasn't really made for a recliner. I know you enjoy it, and I think you should, but God, it's not good for you to be there all day. Amen. It's just not. And then lastly, uh, I mean, your wife and kids, your parents will respect you for it. Your in-laws will respect you for it. Your prospective father-in-law, if you're thinking about that, will respect you for your work ethic, your labor. And you're going to want that down the road. You're going to want a good relationship with them. And lastly, to have resources. Resources. Resources for what? For the work of God. And it might be, you know, brethren, we want to be the kind of people that love not only in word, but also in deeds. And if a brother has a need, we want to be able to contribute to that. I want to be able to give to those things, to do those things. There are three things I can give you that I I can help you with even in tough times. Even when there's a slowdown, you can keep your job. Number one, if you'll be a man of integrity, have some integrity. That means be accountable, be responsible, take ownership for failure. Don't pass the buck. Take the chip on the, you know, take it on the chin. God know it. Face those errors that you make. Number two, have some initiative. Be the person that sees something that needs to be done and does it. Doesn't have to be told all the time. Doesn't have to be motivated all the time. Doesn't have to be pumped all the time. Doesn't have to be primed all the time. Got to be provoked and prodded. Don't be that person. Because you know what? That boss is going to get weary of doing that. And when a slowdown comes or a tough time comes, they will. you'll be the first to go. It's true. Because there's, in tough times, there's a thousand other people. We live on the perimeter here of what? Four and a half million or five million or whatever. And there's plenty of folks out here that'll pick up a shovel and do the jobs. And I'm going to say it that a white guy doesn't want to do anymore. And they own their own homes and they, and they own a lot of things that they all do by cash. Illegal or not, they know how to work. I, we hung the sheetrock. Brother Wade Biggs and I hung the sheetrock down there at Bio Drive, and we had to have some more sheetrock. They were building that new building, and we had to have some more sheetrock. And, man, in came these two little fellows. We were up on, on some scaffold, and we were, we were doing some work, those tall ceiling, tall walls. And, man, in came these guys, and they said, where do you want the sheetrock? And we said, well, right down there. If you'll just make, put the rock pile right down there. And they said, okay, boss. They came in, man, these two little guys in lockstep, pop, 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 pow, put those 4 by 12 sheets down there, and they went out, came back in on their shoulders, pop, 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 pow, put them down, and Brother Wade looked at me and said, man, we need them guys in Mississippi. <laughs> I mean, and I don't know how many pieces they brought in, it probably was 50, and those things are taped together, that's 105 pounds a sheet, taped together, two of them, that's 210 pounds, and them guys just, and I mean, they were stepping it off, buddy, getting it off of that supply truck. We were impressed by that. Initiative. You got to have it. It's that gumption. And then lastly, receive instruction. Receive instruction. Prudent men deal with knowledge. That means there's always something more to learn about your job. Always something more. 
Brother Jeff, did you ever feel like you learned it all, everything about working on those motors, working on those jet engines? And I mean, even going from recips when you started off, you know, in Vermont, going those things and all the things and changes and, and adaptions that you had to do. I know you took care of that for those years. Did you ever feel like you just learned it all, knew it all? Uh, probably not, because it's always changing. You've got to keep up with those things. Brother, in your industry, I, I mean, did y'all, how many of y'all watched the space uh, launch? Did y'all watch that? I did. I watched it. I, if you haven't seen it, y'all ought to look at it on YouTube. Gosh, it was like watching something out of a Star Trek movie. These guys, they look just like they had the uniforms on like that, but they were going up in space, and they had touch screens. And, you know, I was just waiting for one of them to say, you know, raise a little door and say, Earl Grey. And a duplicator would make tea for them and drink it. I mean, you know, and then the thing that just blew my mind was that, 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 uh, that single-stage rocket that took off, and then it comes back, and it lands back down on a floating platform out in the ocean. Technology changed. Brother, there's no telling what they're going to have even in your job, things are changing. The equipment is fast-moving technology. You've got to keep up with it. If you don't have the instruction you need, get it. Solomon said, buy the truth and sell it not. I always think that's true about education as well. Get it, get it, get it while you can. Listen, if you're still at home, young people, you're listening at home, you're still at home and you're in school, stay in there, get a craft, learn how to work with your head or your hands or both. Moms and dads, make sure they get an education because you don't want them to be bitter in life as they look back and they can't read and can't write and can't add and subtract. And they're going to want to have a family and they can't support them. Do your best to equip them. You know, instead of having that take this job and shove it mentality, why not have this job and love it? Why not do that for your young people? Why not set an example for them that, hey, I get to go to work. I get to do this. I, I don't have to preach tonight. I got to preach, brother. I get to preach. I get to minister. Brethren, God's called us to labor and wants to bless you in your labors. One of the things that we pray for around here is that God will prosper you and the work of your hands and keep you healthy. Because your, your work attitude and work ethic, it affects your prayer life. Read over there in the book of Timothy. We come to the house of God, you're supposed to raise holy hands. That means you've done a hard day's work for an honest work, for an honest wage. Amen? Without wrath and doubting, without a bad attitude about over the day. If you want your prayers to be heard, you've got to be involved in it. You've got to get after it. I want to encourage you encourage you. Don't look at labor. Don't be a whiner and a murmurer. Be those sons of God that shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Be that. But don't be a whiner. Don't be a whiner. Work hard and I'm telling you, God will bless you for it. He will bless you for it. Amen? Let's stand. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for my church family, for those listening at home. And I pray, Lord, that the Word of God, it might be mixed with faith, that it would be profitable unto us. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.